Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. I wrote 14 letters. I wrote a letter to every Chicago Bulls player except Michael Jordan because I was like, okay, if one of these individuals responds to me, maybe Michael will see what kind of work I've done and he might be interested. So remember, the only person I did not write a letter to was Michael Jordan. He might, he took the lo- letter from somebody else's locker that had opened it and handed it to the team physician and athletic trainer at, during that time and said, hey, find out what this guy's about. Wow. That is, that is crazy. So that's why when somebody calls me crazy or anybody says their ideas are crazy, I said, you're, you're going the right way. You're going about things the right way. Right. Hi. I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi guys, it's Rach, and we're back for another in our Mastermind series. Mastermind episodes are when we take a single topic and we pull clips from some of the best speakers we've ever had on that topic, which is pretty hard because we've been doing this show for over six years. So the teachers, the experts, the coaches that we have had come through this show make it extremely hard to pick who's giving the best advice. But today, we chose some really good ones for you. Today, we're talking about self-confidence. I wanted to make sure that I gave you perspectives from a bunch of different industries. So in today's episode, you're gonna hear from Tim Grover, one of the most successful coaches for premier athletes in the world. We're talking the guy who helped Michael Jordan, figure out how to be Michael Jordan. We're hearing from Leslie Odom Jr. 
Broadway star, singer, actor, talking about the entertainment industry and what it meant to have self-confidence in that place. Author Jedediah Jenkins, actress Yvonne Orji, and Russell Brunson, one of the brightest minds in entrepreneurship in this day and age. So you're going to get perspective from a bunch of different places, and all of it is with the same intention. What are the tools and hacks and ideas and philosophies that will help you to have more self-confidence in every area of your life? Coming off the Hamilton stage, people were asking me, of course, you know, so what, what's your dream role? What do you want to do now post-Hamilton? And what what do you do after Hamilton? Right. You know, so I kept it specific enough and vague enough. You know, I've really learned how to special way, a specific way that you have to like, I think, you know, call up your dreams because you really can have these things that you want. But if you're, you know, if you, I feel like if you order up wrong, you know, the the universe can- A million percent, yeah. The universe can, you know, has a sense of humor too. And it also, and it, and it will teach you these lessons, you know, get, it'll send you what you ask for essentially. And so it's like- and Right. When what you ask for shows up, you're like, oh, no, I didn't mean like this. It's like, yeah, well, what did you mean? So I said, you know, I want to do the things that nobody would let me do before Hamilton. That's what I wanted to do. You know, so I don't whatever those things are, I don't want to go back to doing, you know, the little the same little jobs I was doing before this paradigm shifting, life changing experience. I decided to work within the system. There are people that don't. There are people that that go, right, that, that just go completely independent and decide to fuck the whole system. I'm going to go over here and build my own system. And I have respect for that. I, I may have gotten to that point. But to be honest, you know, I was auditioning for things and I was trying to I was trying to find to maximize and try to find my place within a system. And absolutely, there were times when my hands were tied. There were there were times when I was marginalized, even, you know, even still. But I have used my voice. I've pushed back against that. I've I've walked away from opportunities. I quit jobs. I've said no to certain opportunities because, you know, so, so within the system, I have continued to, to push and people pushed before me, which is the only reason why I've been able to build as much as I have. And, and the, you know, and I, and I push as hard as I can for myself and for the people behind me. I am a person who really believes in, and I, I like to fiercely protect sacred space within myself and around me. You know, not my my whole life, maybe someday it will be, but, you know, my whole life isn't sacred space. You know, that time, those places are, are very special, sacred, sacred relationships, sacred um, moments. And that, that whole time, primarily because of the, the words that Lynn gave us, there was so much truth in it. There was so much honesty in it. There was power in it. You can call into your life and you can engineer, no matter what those tax returns say, you can feel wealthy on a lot of different income rungs. <laughs> you know, to me, what I prioritize is my freedom. I prioritize my liberation. And my freedom looks like I 
don't, I will work as hard as I need to, to make sure that I never need to be in a place that I never am forced to be in a place where I am being mistreated or undervalued or, you know, not my, not the best version of myself for, for dough. I had, there were times where I had to do that through my twenties, but that what I, that is what a wealthy lifestyle looks to me is the freedom of choice um, that now 20 years into my career, I have, you know, I've been able to, thank God, I've been able to get some of that. So, you know, now when I, when I say yes to a film, you know, I I don't want to have to say yes to, I don't want to have to do a movie that I don't believe in because I have to pay my bills. So that that means, you know, for me, it's, you know, there are four or five little jobs that I need to take to 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 maintain and preserve my liberation, my freedom, because that that is what it looks like to me. That the, when I can say no, because if my wife needs me at home, if I'm needed, you know, by my family, if there's a if there's a project that I believe in that's not going to pay me a lot of money, but I, but like Hamilton was. Hamilton, there was no money up front. There was no money for years being involved in the development of that show. But I believed in that show. I believed in what it had to say. I didn't sign on to be a part of a movie on Disney Plus. <laughs> I, I was committing to be a part of a reading for an off-Broadway show. That off-Broadway show paid me $400 a week. And, you know, what what. I, and and the opportunities came from, you know, wherever, you know, I had a, a $500,000 television contract at NBC. I could do that or because that the television show shot in LA, I couldn't do that and Hamilton off Broadway. I had to walk away from that. If, because what I'm telling young people, it's like, I, what I knew when that thing showed up is if, are you in it for the dough? Because if you're in it for the dough, go get the money. That's not why I was in it. Hamilton is the, you know, doing that kind of work. Um, Hamilton was making me, was fashioning me into not only a better performer, but I was a better man. I was a better husband. I was a better friend because I was happy because I was, I was living on purpose, whatever you have to do. I know, I know not everybody is there yet. You know, not all, not all of your listeners are there yet, but I wish it for everybody. If you can feel it at least one time in your life. It is paradigm shifting. It you know just reorders your priorities. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way, as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. 
Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously, you can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. Our name is Tim Grover. I'm best known for training professional athletes such as Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, Russell Wilson, hundreds of others, Charles Barkley, Kim Olajuwon, who's who in the NBA I've pretty much worked with. Uh, I do a bunch of business with different CEOs of companies now just to get, I don't even go in, I'm not even in the mindset space, you know, because that's too general. I, I put myself yeah. in the winning space. You know? <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's what it's about, you know, because people get confused when they talk about, oh, mindset. Well, what actually is mindset? I've defined it to a, a even more of a fine line says, hey, I teach people how to win but not only to win, to win over and over again. And not just in business, in life, in their relationships and everything that's going on. It's a, it's a, I take a different approach. I take the brutally raw, honest approach to it, kind of like you. Okay, <laughs> I always tell ahead. everybody, I always say, our messages aren't for everyone, but they should be. Both my parents are, are Indian descent. So, you know, when you're going, you have two occupation choices. If you're if your parents are Indian, especially back in the, especially back in the eighties, number one was to be a doctor and number two was to be a doctor. Right. And I wanted to do neither, neither one of them. So when I went to college, just like anybody else, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, one of my guidance counselors said, Hey, we have this new program called kinesiology. All right. It's about exercise and movements of muscles. It requires a lot of science and so forth. She goes, I think you'll be really good at it. I said, all right. So I take a few courses at it. I absolutely loved it, but I was like, okay, 
how do you make a career out of this? How do you make a living out of this? So I was like, all right, I don't want to be a doctor, but I still in this, I'm still in the science space. I said, you know what? I'm going to train professional athletes. So I went and told my parents, I said, I'm going to train professional athletes. That's what I want to do. And they're like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? Because, you know, back in the late seventies, early eighties, like professional athletes didn't have trainers. You know, they, the boxers had their trainers and, you, you know, you had your trainers for the Olympics, but other individuals did not have anything. So I had to kind of create a whole industry. So after I finished school, I finished uh, with a master's degree in exercise science, just like anybody else. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Didn't have any really jobs lined up that were that were appropriate because I didn't know what do you do what, what do you do with this degree other than be do administration work or become a uh, become an educator. I just didn't know. So I took a job at a local health club. Minimum wage back then was three dollars and thirty five cents. Mm. Three dollars and thirty five cents. So I took the job. I took the job. So at a local health club, I said, all right, I have all the knowledge. I have a lot of knowledge on how to work with individuals, but I have no practical experience. So this would be a great way. So I got in there. I started to work my way up to a trainer. I actually had to work my way up to a trainer. I was the most educated person there, but I still had to work my way up. No problem. You know, I have no, no issues with starting, starting at the bottom. So after about you know, three months, they allowed me to start training individuals. I started to train everybody that was available. I got them all. I got them unbelievable results. And this was just whether they wanted to be a recreational athlete, whether somebody that wanted to lose weight, somebody who was coming off, you know, just giving birth to a child, whatever, whatever it may be. So I got known as that person that like delivered the results, which was excellent for me because it got me a chance to really work on my craft, physically work on it, talk to people, see, see, try different things out, not just where I learned different avenues that I wanted to go. And there was a small article that I saw in a local newspaper that said, Michael Jordan is tired of taking the physical abuse from the Detroit Pistons, and he's looking to get stronger. He's looking to get bigger and stronger. I said, okay. I said, you know what I'm going to do? There's 15 players on NBA roster. I said, I'm going to write 14 letters. And I said, exactly right. Because back then, no emails. The only people that had cell phones were the big ones that you threw over your backpack. (laughs) I couldn't afford one. I couldn't afford one of those. So you literally, I wrote 14 letters. I wrote a letter to every Chicago Bulls player except Michael Jordan. Because I was like, okay, if one of these individuals responds to me, maybe Michael see what kind of work I've done and he might be interested. So I mailed the letters out and the, back then the letters go as fan mail. So what they do is they take all the fan mail and they put it in the, into the lockers of all the different players. So remember, the only person I did not write a letter to was Michael Jordan. He, he took the lo- letter from somebody else's locker that had opened it and handed it to the team physician and athletic trainer at, during that time and said, hey, find out what this guy's about. Wow. That is, that is crazy. So that's why when somebody calls me crazy or anybody says their ideas are crazy, I said, you're, you're going the right way. You're going about things the right way. Right. You know, because I was like, all right, what, what, are the cha- what are the chances? But you know what? There'd be zero chance if I did. So for the next three months, I had the athletic trainer uh, call me and said, hey, we have a client that's interested in your services. Didn't tell me who it was. I had no idea. So literally they put me through Three months of vigorous testing, knowledge, practical, all kinds of stuff. Actually, more extensive than I went to school, what I went to school for. Then later they said, you know what? They gave me the address and they said, 
we want you to meet the client. Still didn't tell me who it was. Still didn't tell me who it was. I said, all right. And this was before the big gated houses and all that other stuff where you could just kind of ring the doorbell. So they give me the address. I go to the house. I ring the doorbell once. No answer. Ring it twice. No answer. Ring it three times. I'm like, all right, what's going on? Third ring, Michael Jordan opens up the door. Okay. So here's a crazy part. He's the one person I didn't send a letter to. So I didn't do my research on him as much as I did on everybody else on the team. Right. But him being who he was, and there was so much information available about him. Every time you turn on the TV, you see the news, you were able to, you were able to, you, you kind of had some knowledge about what was going on, what was going on with him. So he invited, he invited me, he invited me to the house. All right, we sat down and talked for about 30 minutes. I told him what he told me, what he wanted to do. And I told him what my philosophies were. But the first thing I said, I said, I said, listen, Michael, I'm going to be up, up front with you. I've never trained a professional athlete. I said, I've never trained a professional athlete. I said, I'm never going to play professional basketball. I said, if that's an issue with your thinking process or the individual you want to take information from, we don't need to go any farther. All right. Because I said, those things are just, they're not going to happen. He goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, absolutely not. He goes, I need an expert in this field. I don't need an expert in this field. Even though I did play college basketball, so I had the knowledge of basketball, but not to the extent of his love. So he told me what he wanted to do. And I, I, I was like, I said, Michael, that's that's not the way to go about this. You know, he goes, I want to get bigger. I want to get stronger. I want to put on all this weight. I said, no. I said, listen, the way you move, the way things go on, I said, adding a bunch of weight at this at this stage in your career is not the right way to go. I said, let's take this approach. You have these nagging injuries. Let's address those nagging injuries. Just by addressing those nagging injuries, you're automatically going to be a better athlete. You're automatically going to be stronger. You're automatically going to be better. And then let's start adding weight during the off seasons. And put a, I put like a five-year plan together for him. And then he looked at it and he just said, but I was telling about it. He goes, this doesn't sound right. I said, well, Michael, it doesn't get any righter than this. I said, trust me, trust me on this. Trust me on this. He goes, you know, no one else has explained it to me this way. I said, well, I'm coming at you from not only a person who knows how to think, but also what to think. Two, di- two, different, mm-hmm. two, different, two different paths over there. He goes, I'll give you 30 days. He goes, I'll give you 30 days. 30 days turned into 15 years. Yeah. Not only in the business side, with people who ask me life questions, you know, identify, identify your weaknesses. You have to admit what they are. You have to admit what your flaws are. Understand that they're out there. And I say, okay, how can I make these things better? Or how can I use them to my advantage? So the same approach that I take with my athletes is the same way I, I, I use with everybody. Anybody, I, if, there's a, if there's a young lady or if there's a, a young gentleman that comes up to me and asks a question, say, hey, this is what's going on. I said, all right, let's break this thing, let's break this thing down here. What are your strengths? What are, what are your weaknesses? How can we continue to enhance your, uh, your strengths? And how can we bring your weaknesses closer to your strengths? Also realizing there are going to be some weaknesses that you may not be able to overcome. There are mm-hmm. some weaknesses that you just can't make into, into, your, into your strengths. Those are your gifts. Those are your flaws. Learn how to use them. Find the people that can accentuate those things, that can help you in those things. You know, not everybody, listen, not, <laughs> there's not one person in this world who's the strongest human being in the world 
who's the fastest human being in the world, who's the most intelligent human being in the world, who's the most smartest human being in the world. So it, when you don't have all those things and you, you understand that, hey, I can't be all those things, but I can enhance those things to the best of my levels and surround myself with people that understand my strengths, understand my weaknesses, and don't use those against me that, that actually help me become the person that I want to be. That's the same philosophy I take with Michael is the same philosophy I take with everyone. Your highest achievers, look, look at even in your business, your most highest achievers are your most coachable individuals. Yeah, that's real. They are that's your most so coachable individuals. You have less problems and less issues with high achievers. They they want to learn. They want to get better. They Because they know their room for growth is so small. So they're looking for that 0.0001%. So they're real, their minds are like really, really open to take what they can take, but also leave behind what they don't want. So, you know, to me, motivation is entry level. It might, it's what gets you in the race. All right. So you may have somebody that's externally may light your, light your fire. Now it becomes your job to control that flame, to see how high, how high you want it to burn when you want it to dim it down. So, in the book, Winning, I talk about that motivation is entry level. It's for people who haven't really decided on what their goals are, what they want out of life, what they're going to have to give. These individuals, these high achievers, they already know this. So they're not looking for motivation. They're looking for elevation. So they're looking for individuals around them who know how to elevate their thought of their thought process, who know how to elevate their weaknesses, who know how to elevate their, their strengths. And as small as it may be, that's why these people, their circles are so, so small and they can weed out the B, they can weed out the BS and they want the truth. They want the truth. They understand that in order to get better, in order to continually to win over and over again, that they're going to have to take the emotions out of winning. They're going to have to take the emotions out of every single success that they get, because if they get so emotional over each win, it's going to drain them so much for the next one. Now, I'm not saying they don't enjoy the moment. They really, they really cherish the moment. They enjoy it so much, but they understand that if they enjoy it for too long, they're not going to be able to get back here again. To me, Being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Rach. 
thrivemarket.com slash rach. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I hate when you meet people who are successful and you ask them, like, okay, so what was it like on the journey? And they're like, oh, you know, started from the bottom. Now we're here. It's like, yes, I, I, I know that Drake song as well. So <laughs> what was it like <laughs> when you were at the bottom and you tried to get to the top? Well, you know, you know, those days is gone, but we you know we're just so happy to be here. I'm not getting a sentence. Like, this is not, this, I can't do anything with this. I can't eat off of this. I can't have faith for this. Right. And so yes. it, it's like either people are, like, they don't want to show the unsexy stuff, right? It's just like, let's just let's just talk about where we are now. We, we pop in. It's like, I under, mm-hmm. and for me, I just wanted to be honest because I was going through it in real time. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's yeah. like, I, I, the reason why I wanted to write the book when I did, it's because like I had literally closed the chapter on that part of my life, but I, it was still so fresh and so raw because I was like, I see it. I'm in the driver's seat looking in the rear view mirror like, mm, don't remember when me and my friends still have that like, you remember when we were sharing salads with no meat? You know, it's just like, yes, <laughs> it was just lettuce. It wasn't even a salad. It was just that too. And we have these stories of like, yo, remember when we go to Chipotle and like adding guacamole would, would get us to the overdraft fee, yo. And I just, I just knew that I wasn't the only one. And I know that you can, it's easy to look at my life and be like, oh my gosh, she's made it. And it's like, yes, how's ever? Before we get here, let me show you what happened. So the book yeah. is broken up into parts. It's the burden, the um, building, the breakthrough, and the book less than busy. And so obviously in the burden, I talk about how like sometimes dreams are a burden. You get them, you believe you can do them, but then they're so heavy. They're so heavy because so much, so much comes with them. The setbacks, the rejections. Mm-hmm. My parents' dream was for me to be a doctor. <laughs> and in true immigrant slash Nigerian form, I was like, yes, I'll be a doctor. I'll be a wonderful doctor. I can do it. And then I took organic chemistry and I was like, I cannot do it. I should not do it. I don't want to do it. Like I just, <laughs> organic chemistry told me no. Okay, Grace said yes. Organic chemistry said nah. And so I re- quickly realized like, mm, I don't have a backup plan though. Like I had only put my egg in this basket that I now realize like, I don't even want to feel no more. And I, to stall from telling my parents, because I didn't have a backup plan, I got a master's degree in public health because the only thing Nigerians love more than education is more education. In the book, I talk about moving from a morsel of, of a maybe. And I just was like, maybe God knows more about me than I know about me. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. And this scares the crap out of me right now, but like, maybe there's something to this. And so I, for the yeah. next two weeks, I walked around the house trying to figure out what was funny, 
with this, like growing up with this dual di- dichotomy of being both Nigerian and American. And I did a five minute set. When I tell you, Rachel, I did not pause for laughter. I didn't even know to pause for laughter. I had I had no idea what comedy really was. I just knew that I used to sneak into my parents' room and watch Deaf Comedy Jam on HBO. And this is when we had the little box and then she, yep. and it, was, yes. and it was in one room and you like it was overheating. So I'm like, mom's gonna know we were here. So it's like, you know, one television had the box. And I just knew, I didn't even know set up punchline. I just knew that they would say something. And then after they would say something else, people would laugh. So I was like, I need whatever that formula is, I need that. So that was the first time I ever did it. And then afterwards, people were like, oh my God, do you do comedy at uh, baby showers and weddings? And I'm like, I do, actually, I do. Because you got to faith it till you make it. Right, right. And, but after that, I was just like, wait, was this like a one-time thing? Like, maybe I was really good that week as a Christian and God like came through for me. And I remember going back and I said, okay, God, if this is real, allow me to do it again and allow it to be good. And I entered a competition for this like DC's funniest college student competition. I was getting my master's. So I was like, I, it tracks. And I ended up winning for GW. And that meant I got to perform at the DC Improv. And it was just these little like morsels of wins that I kept getting. And I was like, now I'm hooked because it's not a hot right. Now I found something that I didn't even know. Like God, this when you when people say it was a God dream, this is a God dream. I, I'm an immigrant. I did not know Hollywood was a thing. I don't know how people make money in Hollywood or a living. Comedy scared the still scares the crap out of me. So It was that thing of, I know I don't want to be a doctor. I found something I love. I don't know what the end is, though, with this. Like, I didn't know any comedians who were successful. I didn't know any comedians, period. And, but that's where the faith wall came in. So in that burden section, it was like, I'm going to move to New York with $500, 400 of which are going towards an acting class. So now I'm going to move to New York with $100. And on the bus, and I talk about this in the book, on the bus, going to New York from Maryland, four hours, I didn't have a place to stay. So I send a, a Facebook message like, hey, anybody got a couch for me to crash on? Um, heading to New York, be there tonight. A woman I met one time doing public health work in Liberia hits me and was like, call me immediately. I call her. She's like, I have a basement apartment. My daughter just went up to college. You can stay there rent free. For six months, as I'm on the bus to New York. Wow. When I lived in Maryland, I would do like church events because, you know, like church events paid. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting paid to do comedy and like $500 here, a thousand here. And I'm like, to tell jokes? What? And for like five minutes, and it's like the same set. I said, what doctor gets paid $500 in five minutes? What doctor? What, you know, and I just was just like, oh my God, I can actually make it. I didn't know like comedians were poor. Because <laughs> I, I moved to New York thinking like I would have the same kind of setup, baby. They had these bringer shows. And it was like, if you bring five friends, each paying like the full amount, then uh, we'll give you, you know, four minutes. And it's just like, I'm, it's how to win friends and not how to lose friends and not influence nobody. That's what that, that book was called. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so after a while, I was like, well, this is not going to work. Because one, I only brought me to New York. So I don't have that many friends. And the few that like I do, 
they're they're poor they're artists like me they don't have yeah. the money to support me every night and I need to practice and so it was the it was the moment where I just was like oh my god like how am I going to get better how am I even going to get seen if I can get on stage so one day I go to a, a um an open mic night an open mic is just like comics who are just trying out new material it's not a show sometimes there's like regular audience members most of the time it's just other comics in the audience who are not listening to you because they're working on their set and this particular night this guy said um hey I gotta give up the room because I'm like moving to LA and so who wants to take the room over and I looked around waiting for like all these other like more established comedians to be like me and nobody did and I just was like Mm, I'll do it. Because in my mind, again, I'm a Nigerian businesswoman. In my mind, I was like, I don't have to ask anybody for permission to get on stage at least once a week. And then I can meet other comics by booking them on the show. And then I get to be in control. Yeah, I'll do it. And I think what other comics saw as work, I saw as opportunity. Because how else was I going to like meet other comics and then be like, and network and say, Hey, where are you guys getting up after this? Great. After I wrap up the show, I'll come meet you. So it was like, it was, it was my way of fixing a problem. And a lot of times people think that when God fixes the problem, it's like, Oh, God opened up a door for me to always perform at this place. No, God opened up a door for me to work and be responsible and have ownership and then also meet the problem. So yes, no, it was not fun dragging equipment on the train every Thursday night, creating flyers and listserv, reaching out to comics, booking the show, but it gave me a sense of ownership. And I called that show, Mama, I Made It, because I was like, one day I'm going to call my mom and actually say those words to her. Cut to years later, I have an HBO special with the same name. Wow. Yeah. And was that, sorry if this is a dumb question, was that lucrative at all or it just sort of, no? <laughs> I actually lost money because I would pay audience members if they told a joke. I remembered, and that's the thing, it's like, I was like, I had no idea how to run a room. Right. And sometimes you have to do the things not to make money. But what I did make were friends. What I did yeah. create was a community. And what I did get to do was have the opportunity to consistently practice my set. I should also say, I was working as a temp during the day. So that's where I actually got the money from. So I was like, I right. used the money from working as a temp and I funneled it back into like, once I paid rent, funneled it back into my mind made it. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Love that city, love that place. In a, in a very churched world. I went to church three times a week. There are more churches on my street than there are houses. So I grew up with this, you know, very intense, beautiful, structured, religious life. And, you know, I started to realize that something was different about me in third grade. And then I realized it was called gay in seventh grade. And I thought it would go away and I thought it would go away and all these things. And so when you wake up into your life as a problem, I like I started to realize something deep in me is a problem. It made me a student of my life. I was I, I became became very interested in why is the world not made for me and like why am i in mm. trouble by existing this is a problem and i think that in that there's a reason why so many queer people and minority communities or whatever become artists because when the world isn't made for you you start to like create your own world whether that's through writing or music or whatever because you're trying to find safety and make the world make sense 
So I think that's what turned me into a writer or at least a processor of ideas was just, I need to, I need to figure out what's going on with my life and what is this thing about being alive. And I became a voracious reader trying to find someone to help me. Processing the ideas became very important to me. Right around that time, Facebook was blowing up and Blogspot and Tumblr. And so, you know, people had blogs, you know, all the things. And so I was like, I just want to like write a blog, but I'm not, I don't even have an audience. I'm just going to write it to like, it actually feels helpful to put things into words from myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I remember I wrote some essay on my blog and then I posted it on my Facebook, just like thoughts about whatever, God and the church or something. And a lot of people responded to it, positive and negative. I got like, this is dangerous, you know, blah, blah, blah on my Facebook. And I, I'll never forget a guy in Denver who I had met once, like three years in the past, I barely knew him, messaged me and said, what you said in your blog changed my mind about like it rewired my brain. Thank you so much for writing that. And that moment of affirmation from somebody who's not my friend doesn't need to encourage me for no reason. You know, like when your best girlfriend is like, yay, oh my God, I'm so proud of you for starting that. Well, they have to say that, you know? So right. it's when it's, if you make something and then someone that has no skin in the game, they just like the thing you make, tells you that you're onto something. And so that was really impactful for me. And that kept happening. And so that encouraged me to write more and put it out there a little more. And then it just snowballed. It was the like, I always talk about, yes, do what you love, but listen to what loves you back and, and mm. move in that tango towards it. It wasn't that I knew I was going to be a writer. It was that the like, it was encouraged and pulled out of me through observation. And that was then in my 20s, I got enough affirmation in that. And affirmation of my soul doing it felt so true and good that I decided, okay, well, I'm in this nonprofit world. I could, I'm about to be 30. I could blink and like all of a sudden I'm going to be 50, 60. Maybe I'm going to have kids. Maybe I can have a mortgage and I'm not going to be able to take these big risks. Like I think I can that now, now I've learned you can always do that, but it felt like my time was running out to take big risks. So I said, when I, I remember I was 27 or 28 and I said, okay, guys, this is, I'm giving you my three years notice. I'm going to quit when I'm 30. And they were like, three years notice. I don't know what that means. And I was just like, I, I want to try to be a writer. I want to write a book. And so when I turn 30, I'm going to try it, like write a book. And I'm going to spend a couple years trying to be a full-time writer. And if it fails, okay, well, at least when I'm 60, I won't be like, what if I tried? It's like, at least I know I tried. And then I'll be like, wow, I'm really not good. So that's what I did. But it was like, really, it took me my whole 20s to uncover that I might have that talent. I definitely, even to this day, feel like, who am I? And the way that I like get around that is I, I don't know who I am on a stage in front of thousands because I don't know those people. I mean, all humans are beautiful and lovely and I would hug them all, but like, I can't, my brain can't process the meaning of that many faces, but I can remember being a 22 year old queer kid and wishing I could find someone to say, you're going to be okay in, in a way that I could hear it. 
People were saying mm-hmm. it, but I couldn't hear it. And so right. I write books. I use social media. I do everything I do to talk to that book because I know he exists. Like yes. that 22, that 25, that 30-year-old, boy, girl, they, whoever is looking for somebody to say, you're not alone. You're not the first person to be here and you're going to be okay. And not only that, you're going to thrive and soar. And so all I'm doing is talking to that kid. And so when other people eavesdrop and they get something from it, oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. This is so dope. Welcome. But I'm not worried about the world changing or this. I I can't, that's too big for me. I can't process it. So if it happens as like tangential bonus, fabulous. But I'm over here just trying to like talk to my younger self. Humans evolved in small family like groups and what they've done is they've tracked like bones and like ancestral homo sapiens and found that we really developed to live in tribes of of maximum 150 and so and that was for like millions of years so us developing complex large cities and whole nations i mean that's only 10,000 years old so when you think about how long we've been anatomically human it's a blip of what we're doing now is a blip which is why certain things seem to fry us like social media, like certain things we like, we didn't really evolve for this. So it's kind of like short circuiting us a little bit, but anyway, Dunbar's number is 150. And so you'll see like a small business. When you start a small business, you can get about 150 employees. And then once you get above that, you have to have an HR department because now you, you can't process the complex human interactions between each employee. Once you get over that number, it's too big for your brain. So you have to like systematize. And that Mm. works like in your social life. If you think you probably know 150 people, like, and that's a lot, but in terms of cousins, friends, wives of this and that and kids, and like, you don't really know more than that. And there's some savants who might know 300. And then there's some like introverts who might know 50, but like, that we can't really process more human relationships than that. Our brains just don't have the space for it. And we evolved to be that way. So if you are trying to shake the world and impact thousands, your brain doesn't even know what that means. A mentor of mine calls that, he says it's a specifically millennial problem, is the idolatry of magnitude. We, We want magnitude. That is a good line. The idolatry of magnitude. And it Holy and it's crap. and it's That's just good. untrue to like we can't feel it. And I live in Los Angeles. I'm surrounded by actors and singers and celebrities and the most it's fascinating. The most uniform wisdom that a famous person will tell you is that once you get to the top, it is lonely and it doesn't feel like you thought it would. And like you will win the Emmy, you will win the Grammy and like people aren't calling you. And you're like, the pe- I'll, I'll never forget a friend of mine, he won a bunch of Emmys and the only people that congratulated him were his team because all of his community thought that he was so busy being on top that he didn't have time to take their call. So he was just like alone. And I'll, I just like, I think about that all the time. So all that to say, when, I, when I'm talking to someone who wants to write a book or wants to do something, I'm like, truly, truly try to speak to a small group and try like 150 people. If you get 150 people caring, you will never be able to feel more than that. 
And so if the, if you get big numbers or whatever, that's so amazing. And like, if you can communicate with 150, chances are you're doing something of value. So it'll naturally spread, or you can like go for that, but keep in your mind that group of people because we evolved to be that way. I started this back when I was in college. My very first product was teaching people how to make a potato gun, which is dorky, but that's how I got started. <laughs> um, and as I started doing it, um, I just had so much fun. I got obsessed with like sales and marketing, how to create sales funnels and processes and, and like the, the words on the page to get people to, to buy something or get them to move or get them to change their life. Like I became obsessed with those kind of things. And um, just did that for probably a decade and then eventually started teaching other entrepreneurs how to do it. And I had so much fun because I saw how if I taught an entrepreneur something, or if I gave them a tool and then they used it, I saw how they could get their message out and they could change 10 or 100 or 1,000 or a million people's lives. And, um, and so for the last, man, 10, 15 years now, that's what I've been doing is helping serve entrepreneurs. And, and um, we do it through teaching them how to market their, their ideas and their, their, their businesses online. So ClickFunnels is the, the end product of like us teaching entrepreneurs for years, like how to, how to sell things online and everyone would understand the principles, but they couldn't do it. And uh, about 10 years ago, I met my business partner's name is Todd Dickerson, and he's the smartest human I've ever met in my life. And um, I was teaching people how to build a funnel. We were, you know, we had uh, seminars, people would come in and they would doodle on a whiteboard out their funnel. They're like, hey, this is what my funnel needs to be. And then I'm like, hey, go home and hire someone from the Philippines or India or somewhere to build it for you. And they never get past that point. And Todd's a genius. He's like, we could build software that made this really easy for people. I was like, okay. And sure enough, he sat down in his laboratory and built out, built the first version of ClickFunnels. And now we've had that company for about eight years. We have over hundred thousand active entrepreneurs who pay monthly on the platform. And they're selling everything you can dream of from, you know, from coaching to physical products, to supplements, to healthcare, to anything you can think about dental care, like every the there's again over 100,000 entrepreneurs selling stuff on our platform and so it's uh it's been like literally the ride of life last <laughs> last seven right. years. So the first book was called it's called dotcom secrets. Some people tell me it's a horrible name, but when I was first in this business that was like I was trying to learn all this stuff and there were so much like I'm sure anyone who's tried to go down the rabbit hole there's like so much and and I remember reading these getting overwhelmed but I was like I feel like there's these secrets that people are doing and I've like, seeing people have success like I have to figure this out. And so for me, what that looked like was I was buying courses and studying, going to seminars and events. And I would hear these complex uh, ideas and I would try to like doodle them because I'm, I'm very visual. So I would doodle like, okay, so step one is this. And I draw a little square. And then from there it goes to here. And so I would doodle these, these ideas out so it would, it would be clear in my head. And eventually I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And then, and then the next thing. So I started getting good at just doodling out all the things I was learning to try to, so it could make sense in my head, right? And I remember when someone, people started asking me what I was doing, I would show my doodles like, hey, this is how it works. And I explained it. They're like, oh, why didn't people just say that? It's so much simpler. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like it just, it took me a long time, but this is how my brain was able to synthesize all this stuff to something very, very simple. And I remember when I got started, somebody told me one day, like, you've got to have a book if you want to be real. So I was like, I want to write a book, but I'd never written a book. I was, I'd never been an author. It scared me to death. But when I was trying to figure out my first book, that was the, the title was like, well, it's dot-com secrets, secrets of what I learned on the internet. And then it was like taking all these doodles, years of it, and like, hey, how does it work? Like, what's the first step? If I was going to try to like tell my mom, who's got no marketing experience at all, like what to do, what would be the first thing I would tell her? And the second thing, and the third thing, and then and I would show her the doodles, like this is like this is the the reason why we do this, and this is how it works. And then from here, this is where we take the person, and then from here, we take them to here. And so that was kind of the the premise of the very first book. And like I said, it helps people understand the basics of selling online. And it's not like it's not a basic book, though, as you know. Like it, it goes deep, but it but it 
at least my goal is try to explain things in a simple way where anybody can be like, oh my gosh, I get it. I finally see how this all works. And even like to the point where you can say, oh, now I see what's been happening to me behind the scenes. Like I, I've bought things in the past. I've attended events. I've done, you know, you, like we're all consumers. We're all, we're all experiencing it, but kind of like take the, you know, take the curtain off where you're able to see and like, oh my gosh, I see what's happening inside the matrix or whatever. Right. And I, and now with whatever I'm going to sell, I can apply these principles and have success as well. I think a lot of people get into business because they, they're looking for significance, right? They didn't have it at one point in life and they're looking for it. Um, I think I came into, into this world and I, I'd had six, like growing up, I was a wrestler. So I'd had success. I'd had significance. I'd, you know, I, I was a state champion. I was an all American. Like I'd had a lot of those things. And so it wasn't like, that was the thing I was craving where I feel like a lot of people get into entrepreneurship because of that, they're, they're, they're looking for the significance. Well, for me, it's like, I'd had that a period of my life and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like, that wasn't the driving force for me. Uh, more so initially was security. I just met Colette and um, she was making 950 an hour her job. I was wrestling. So I couldn't get it and I couldn't get a job. So we were like really, really broke. And I, but I wanted to be the provider. So for me, it was more like I need to figure out how to make money um, so I can be a provider. So I, that was kind of my initial thing going into it was like we have no security, like 950 an hour is not a lot to live off of, even 20 years ago, right? But that was kind of how I went into it. The other thing that I found that was really interesting, and I see this, especially in our industry, again, people who are chasing significance, they're always chasing significance. And I remember a couple of years in this business, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, I don't want to put the spotlight on me. I want to put the spotlight on the art. Like, this is the art that I'm doing, right? And so whatever it is I'm creating, like, then putting the spotlight there. And as I tried to take the spotlight off of me and put it on what I was creating, I, I got more significance. I did, a, I did a podcast episode probably six or seven years ago about this, where I was like, the, the more that I tried to chase significance, the less I got, the more I, I, I didn't, and I just focused on serving people, the more like it just came to me regardless. I think one of the biggest downsides of social media nowadays is that people can blow up so fast over stuff that's not real, right? Like you see beautiful women who will post, get nothing, and then they start showing more of their body and all of a sudden, boom, they blow up and they're famous overnight. They didn't do right. the actual work, right? Or you see you know, the dude who rents a private jet to get the pictures all Sunday now, like, and so they get, they get this, the reward without doing the actual work. Right. I see. Yes, it around, like, yes. I love this art so much that when I first started learning, I started doing events. I remember running radio ads in Boise, Idaho to get people to come to an event. And I remember showing up to the hotel that I had rented and having two people in the room and being like, oh crap, and doing an entire event for two people. And, and nobody cared, right? And I did that. And I didn't stop after that. I did another one and another one. And then I did another one and another one. And I probably did you know, 50, 60, 70 presentations in front of empty rooms before anybody cared. And then I just got a couple people cared and then a couple more and a couple more. And it wasn't, I mean, I was probably in 12, 13 years in before anybody else on this planet cared about funnels. I was preaching <laughs> it to the empty hotel rooms over and over and over again because I cared about that much. I believe, again, I wasn't sitting there with you on your journey, but I, I believe it's the same way from your writing, from your things. Like, and that's what people are missing. Like when you just all of a sudden you become famous overnight on Instagram or whatever, you didn't do that work. And so it's, it's shallow and you're going to, it's hard for you to sustain. Like I've been in this business long enough, 20 years now. I've seen some, like the people come and go and come and go. Like every, every year or two, there's a cycle of like the new, you know, people that, that pop and then they drop and they pop and they drop. And the reason why I've been around 20 years is because I'm obsessed with the art. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.
Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.